Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships. Infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework blending therapeutic body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hi there. I am very excited for today's podcast episode. I took a break for the last year. I said I wasn't going to interview anyone because I've been teaching my mentor program. Um, I've done it twice now. And so that's what's been occupying my time. But I watch another fellow financial therapist who I love. I love her stuff. She's really smart. Um, She's playful. Um, She's younger than me. And if I was going to pass the baton to anyone, it would be her. So we have some similarities. We certainly have some different approaches or styles or some ways, but I, I learn from her and I'm very excited to share her with you today. Her name is Lindsay Brian Podvin, and I'm going to share her bio with you. It says she is a biracial Filipina white female social worker turned financial therapist, author, and speaker. She is the first financial therapist in Michigan. And she talks about money in a way that doesn't make you feel gross. She holds a master's degree in social work from the University of Michigan and a bachelor's degree in sociology from Michigan State University. She also has a certificate in financial social work and is a certified financial therapist through the Financial Therapy Association. She also is the author of the book, The Financial Anxiety Solution, which is a self-paced workbook to help you stop stressing about money by applying therapy techniques to your relationship to money. She's been featured in so many different media places. You can learn more about that on her site. And she says when she's not binging on pop culture or personal finance podcasts, you can find her at home in Ann Arbor, curled up with her Portuguese water dog eating stoved popped popcorn and watching Bravo TV. So in this episode, you'll get to hear some of her story of, you know, moving from being a social worker into a financial therapist and some of her own money story. And then she's going to share a bit about ADHD, how it's defined, how it shows up in our relationship to money, 
and some really solid beginning tools and strategies to help all of us that have ADHD or ADD. I know it's being called um, different things now in the DSM and she will be clarifying all of that during the interview. And I'm just so excited to share her with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Art of Money podcast. And I'm very honored and excited today to have fellow financial therapist, Lindsay Brian Podvin with us today. And she'll introduce herself in a second. I'm, I wanna just share a few things. And I can see her, you all can't see her, but I get to see her, which is a pleasure. Um, but I wanted to do just audio for this. So a few things, one, Lindsay, besides Rick Haler, right? Who's really more of a financial planner for, you know, in my mind, you are the first financial therapist, other financial therapists that I've ever interviewed. I, you know, obviously I've interviewed tons of financial coaches and money coaches and bookkeepers and accountants and estate planners and on and on. But you, I, I think you are the first financial therapist. Well, I'm me. in some very good company then. <laughs> I'll take it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm like not even welcoming you. Welcome to you. I'm just, I'm very excited you're here. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, obviously I told you before we hit record just how thrilled I am to be here and how much your work has impacted me. And I promise to the listeners that this will not be me just gushing over Barry the whole time, but I am, I'm really, really excited to be here and to chat about today's topic. And hopefully we wander off the path too, because that'll be fun. <laughs> oh, we definitely will. So let's hear some of your story. Please share with everyone. You, you went from being a social worker to a financial therapist, mm -hmm. but anything else you want to share about sure. where you're at? Sure. So I, um, I come from relative financial privilege and I was raised in the nineties where the dominant message was go to school, go to higher education, get some sort of degree, and no matter what you'll be okay. But the point is to work hard and get a degree. So I really took that message to heart. I got a degree in sociology and then I went back to school to get my social work degree knowing that I get antsy, I get bored pretty quickly. And to me, social work was a nice blend uh, or it was a nice application of sociology um, and I could bounce around. I could work in a hospital, in a school, I could work in a nonprofit. It felt like it gave me the flexibility that I craved. And in my very first post-grad job, I got my first paycheck and I was making less than I was as a waitress. Um, and it was devastating on so many levels, the level of feeling like I'd squandered my financial privilege. My parents paid for my school. I had no student loan debt, the embarrassment of having done everything right and still not making enough, the fear of feeling like, how was I going to make this? last. And then in my work, people were also asking about money and my training as a social worker did not equip me to talk to people about money. It, it equipped me to teach people how to find resources, how to advocate for them, how to help them say, call their energy company to make sure their lights don't get turned off or how to find food so that they don't get hungry. But my training never taught me how to talk to people about money. 
And so my lived experience coupled with my professional experience, money was just this thing that I could not get away from. And over time, I have a, a history of mental health issues and depression, anxiety, an eating disorder. All of those things were in pretty good shape. And then over time, moving from doing okay financially to living in a paycheck to paycheck scenario, I don't have to explain to any listener who's been in a paycheck to paycheck scenario or has a loved one or friend who's been in that situation. It takes a tremendous toll on your mental and physical health. My mental health deteriorated, my physical health deteriorated. I developed chronic insomnia. My immune system was completely shot. I was getting sick all the time. And I turned to education because that's what I had been taught. So I went to the library, I checked out armfuls and armfuls of personal finance books. And while there were sprinkles of information that were helpful, most of it just made me feel, feel worse, right? It was, it's your fault you're in this situation. You shouldn't be going out to eat. You have to cut up your credit cards. And Barry, I'm sitting there going, I, I, I'm not putting anything on credit cards. I'm just using my debit card. Everything that I bring in, I'm spending, but I'm not spending it on anything extravagant. Maybe I could like, you know, pull back uh, on, on groceries a touch, but it, I wasn't living this irresponsible life that all of these books told me I was living. And so there's this huge disconnect. And over time, I realized that yes, there are things we can do as individuals to quote unquote, get better with money. But a big part of the equation that a lot of people don't talk about is the importance of advocating for more income and also advocating for systemic change. And I am now fast forward in a place where I'm earning enough to be safe and to be comfortable. My mental health and my physical health is really good. And I'm really kind of taking that saying of plan for the worst, but hope for the best <laughs> to heart. Planning for the worst to me means having an emergency fund, investing in retirement, making sure that I have short-term savings goals to do things that really nourish me and bring me joy, such as travel and spending money on my dog. Um, and when I say hope for the best, that means advocating for systemic change, like, you know, stopping payday loans and making sure that we have access to higher education that is fairly priced or lowly low cost making sure that we have living wages that are sustainable and all of those other things but i think so many people get caught up in either the rat race of earning more or being so upset about the system that they're too fearful to take a few steps to create some safety um that we just get into this really intense dichotomy of who's right and who's wrong. Whereas I'm more of the mindset of, we have to survive in a broken system, which means we have to learn some of this stuff and we can still advocate for some of those pieces that are broken to be fixed. Mm -hmm. So how did you find your way to my book? And I know, I, I know that's kind of self-promotion. There's like, that's a self-plug there, but also this, you know, the financial therapy association mm. as well. How did that happen? So, you know, you found yourself in a place, you know, I have a similar story, mm. even though I got a master's in psychology, I was getting paid $11 an hour full time, right? There was no extra, there was nowhere to cut. There was no, right. there was no extra anything. There wasn't a massage. Right. There wasn't there wasn't anything, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, living that paycheck to paycheck. And then you went to all the 
traditional finance books. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I found, I'm trying to remember how I found your book. So let's see. So I graduated in 2011 with my master's degree. I probably spent three to five years of just this, this noise in my head that was like, there's, there's a missing component here to the way that you're treating patients and to the way that you're treating yourself. We've got to talk about money. Why aren't we talking about money? I don't understand why we're not talking about money. And as you can probably attest in your master's work, there's this theme in so many helping and healing fields that sounds like you didn't choose this job because money matters or you didn't choose this work because you expect to be paid for it. So you're kind of being fed this message that you won't be paid for your work. You don't deserve the money and you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart, which is an entire separate conversation, but that's why I got no training about money, I'm sure. And then in my client work, I was like, ah, I feel like I could be doing more than just giving them an 800 number. So I just kept having this kind of intrusive thought. <laughs> But it was like, oh, it was just a frustration. I'm like, this is a missed opportunity. And so every now and then I would try and figure out what trainings are available. What can I do? How can I educate myself? I wanted to stay in my lane of doing mental health care, but I knew I wanted more training. So I wasn't practicing outside of my scope. So I'm sure in some sort of Google fueled night, I found your book. And then I'm sure in another Google filled night, I found the Financial Therapy Association and the Center for Financial Social Work. Um, but it wasn't until I think 2017 or 18 was when I got my certificates. So at this point in time, I, I would like to pat myself on the back and be like, I am good at managing money. And I do feel really proud of that. And I, I left that job. I got a job that was better paying and almost immediately my body responded, right? My anxiety, my depression symptoms started to dial down. The, you know, self-care work that I'd been done started to work. My body slowly started to heal itself. Like I could just feel how intersected not having money was on my physical and mental well-being. So that was an immediate duh moment. <laughs> and I, I'm just an anxious person. Uh, my sister lovingly said something along the lines of like, you just run in an anxious way. And she didn't mean it in an unkind way. She's just like, just that baseline, you're, you're anxious. And I'm like, I am, and that's okay. So for me, the financial anxiety, the next step was not, um, am I saving enough? Am I spending enough? It was more about like permission. Am I allowed to spend? Am I allowed to invest? Am I, it, it was all this anxiety wrapped up in perfectionism. I want to do money the right way. Now that I have a little bit more coming in and it's not just about managing my grocery bill, but now I have the, the privilege to say, I'm going to save some money. I'm going to invest some money. Am I doing it the right way? Is this enough? Is this not enough? Like all of those perfectionistic anxiety things came up. And as you can probably imagine in our work, we often work with people like us. So my caseload was a lot of anxious people who were also asking questions about money. Um, so that's where the, the pivot into anxiety and money anxiety came up. Mm -hmm. So personally, you more naturally run with anxiety, like that's your energy, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. anxiety is, is just... There's excitement in there. Mm -hmm. There's some vigilance in there, <laughs> yeah. right? And so yeah. you were doing that in life, and then you also brought that to money as well, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. your main emotions. Then 
right? That's one of the emotions that was coming up for money yep. as well. And then a lot of people coming to are coming with like this presenting. I have a lot of questions, unknown. What is safety? What is security? How do I find that? I'm feeling yep. anxious. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to say one thing about the shame because it's so different for everyone, you know, and for you, I just want to go back there for, for one more moment, because it sounds like you had a lot of privilege. You were also, man, you learned a lot about financial management and you were doing really well with what you had. And then there was still like shame coming up of what am I doing wrong? I'm not doing this right. Or why am I not getting the raise? Or why am I not getting paid more? Or what if I want to get paid more? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. And right. And then okay. internalize something when they said no to you, that it was somehow something about you personally, when it wasn't at all, it was about the system. Right. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. So, okay. Financial anxiety. Let's move a little bit more into the mental health stuff. And yeah. then ADHD. there's no way we're going to do this in 30 minutes. That's just not possible. Cause I'm just wanting to follow the threads here. Yeah. So share a little bit more about why you love talking about, you know, money and mental health. You're mm-hmm. already sharing that, like sharing some of the, your own relationship and mm-hmm. what you've had to work through. And right, yeah. it's, it's lifelong. It's not, I, you, I, I don't think they go away. I think. No, we, no. Yeah, so you tell me how you think yeah. about it, where you're at now. And yeah. So for me, the, the money and mental health intersection, it, I love it so much because to me, every single client I've ever had, even before I was certified in financial therapy, had money come up in our work. And I wanted to be able to address it in a really meaningful way, in a way that was, yes, validating and yes, compassionate, but also had some action to it. I think as much as I love traditional psychotherapy, a lot of clients are hungry for a step to take rather than more introspection. And I think with money, it is a tangible thing where we can say, let's try this thing and let me know how it goes when I see you next week. And and I think so many of us are primed to want to check things off of our to-do list. So to bring money into the therapy room is a very tangible action item um, that can be really beneficial. And as you know, it's so symbolic and, and our relationship with money morphs and shows up in so many other places, right? If we're if we're the type of person who likes to hold on tightly to our money, we might also hold on tightly to our emotions and not share them with our partner and want to be secretive about things, right? To me, it's just such a, forgive the pun in advance, a, a rich place to dig into meaningful mental health work. So how are you defining mental health? It's a fu- it's such a funny word for me because it's mm. so mind and I'm so, let's get in our bodies. Yeah. How does it, you know, feel in your body? So it's like mind body, but I would just call it mind body health, right? So how do you, how are you defining? Yeah. How are you defining that right now? Yeah. So, so exactly as you shared to me, we all have mental health. I think for so long, mental health work was defined as having a problem with your mental well-being. But now I think we're, we're getting to a point where we realize we have physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so when I think about mental health care, I'm really thinking about how does the the intersection of our 
emotions and our psychology show up in the way that we function day to day. So when I'm thinking about mental health care, I'm thinking about is a person's symptoms of mental health, uh, of mental illness impacting their ability to get things done in their day-to-day life that they know that they're capable of. And what I mean by that is we're all going to have anxious moments. We're all going to have moments where we feel sad. We're all going to have moments where we feel more motivated or less motivated. That's a normal part of, of being human. But if any of those symptoms are so intense that it's making it hard for a person to complete the tasks they need to at work or to take care of themselves, they're not taking care of of their hygiene or their sleep, or they're not nourishing themselves, or they're not interacting with their partner, their children, their loved ones in the ways that they know they're capable of, that to me is where I think about mental health treatment and and treating some of those symptoms so that they can function in a way that feels best for them. Okay. Okay. So how did you start focusing on the ADHD you know, strategies, you know, I, you've done a bit of that. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's coming up so much is coming up in my family, mm-hmm. more ADD, but it's, you know, there, there's a lot of crossover there. And, and for years, I've certainly had when I used to do more private work or years ago, when I used to teach when I used to train people on QuickBooks, or, you know, send them off to do homework, and then some would and some wouldn't. And some would talk about procrastinating and some would talk about feeling stuck and some would, right? Mm-hmm. And for years I was like, well, I, I would be a terrible get unstuck coach or procrastination coach. And some people love that and are really good at that. And I've changed, but mm-hmm. so let's talk about some, first, first talk about how did you start getting interested Mm. Were you, were you diagnosed with ADHD or was someone close to you? Okay. Yeah. So what was interesting was as we've all seen over these past few years, there's been this spike in people acknowledging that they likely have ADHD and to, to bring myself into it. When I was trained on the DSM, I was trained on the DSM four. We're now on the DSM five and the DSM four really was clear that in order to have ADHD, you have to have these symptoms before the age of seven. And almost all of the symptoms that were described were kind of stereotypical rambunctious boys. And I'm using boys specifically for a reason. Then fast forward, the DSM-5 comes out and is like, golly gee, we really messed up. We missed all of the symptoms that typically manifest in little girls. And it turns out that you know, we, we, we made an error. We used to say that ADHD was much more likely in boys than girls, but actually the, the diagnosis is pretty consistent gender to gender, but we just didn't know how to pinpoint it in girls because we weren't looking for it, which we know happens all the time, right? Yeah. The way that we, yeah, so many things. Girls, women research. Yeah. Yep. So that entire area uh, uh, was being missed. So then the pandemic hits, all these folks are home and are suddenly working without the traditional scaffolding that had been in place or the traditional schooling scaffolding that had been in place that is so beneficial for not just people without ADHD, but particularly people with ADHD. We need routine, we need scaffolding, we need things to be consistent and concise. And that 
um, deadline or goal helps an ADHD brain to finish a task on time. And without it, with all this nebulous open time, all of a sudden, all of these symptoms that had been previously managed because of all these external guardrails was gone. And you take, you know, TikTok obviously has a lot of downsides, but I do think it's pretty fantastic at democratizing information. And boy, did it democratize information about what ADHD is. Of course, the asterisk here is that plenty of people on that platform are just making things up. But for a lot of people, they were watching TikTok and going, oh my gosh, that's me. I had no idea. And the other thing that we saw during the pandemic was that parents of girls were getting their girl daughters diagnosed with ADHD. And when they went in for the assessment and the evaluation, these mothers were going, oh my gosh, I did the exact same things when I was her age. I can't believe this. And then all of a sudden they're going to their kids therapist. Do you have anyone who can diagnose ADHD in adults? So that landscape was all happening. And so my caseload ADHD started to come up a lot more. And so I was educating myself on ADHD. Um, I am personally child-free by choice. And I watched a dear friend go through ADHD diagnosis with her daughter. And it very was like facepalm. This was me. Hmm? So I go to my psychiatrist and I'm like, so funny thing. And I share that with them what happened. And within, you know, minutes, they're like, yeah, you check every box. We need your partner to kind of corroborate your story. My partner does the whole thing. And like, yeah, you have this. And I'm like, wow. And to be clear for listeners, I have ADHD, but it was a very, very new diagnosis. Um, And for me, like many things, it all started to make sense that a lot of the depression and anxiety was what was showing up because I was masking all of my ADHD symptoms, right? Anxiety of, am I going to get things done on time? Am I going to be able to remember this stuff? Am I going to be able to sit through a conversation and not interrupt somebody or not say something really stupid that gets me in trouble? So a lot of these anxieties were related to ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Will you share just a few more symptoms? Just sure. Sure. Of course. Yes. Yeah. So, so one thing as people are listening is that anytime I'm talking about any sort of mental health diagnosis, I want to be clear that everybody at some point in time will likely experience some of these things. So for, you know, we're all going to have times where we lose our keys or we, you know, forget a deadline at work. That's life. That happens to, to every every brain, not just a, a, a neurodiverse brain. But when we think about ADHD, the two main buckets of symptoms or clusters of symptoms fall into emotional regulation or emotional dysregulation, and then also executive functioning. So emotional regulation is the ability to take in information, to think it through, to process it, and then to respond. With ADHD, there isn't as much emotional regulation, so there can be um, low frustration tolerance, so changes to the environment, or if somebody says something, it can feel really intense. There can be mood swings. 
Um, the way that it used to be talked about was like, oh, somebody's really hyper, they can't sit still. So in kids, again, going back a decade or two ago, we often looked for ADHD by the kid who couldn't sit still in class or was interrupting the teacher. Um, and then obviously impulsivity. So interrupting people in conversations um, or buying things on a whim, you know, again, things that we all probably do from time to time. But the difference here is that it is kind of big relative to the scenario. And then when we think about uh, executive functioning, this is things with difficulty maintaining things. So organization is kind of all over the place. So paper trails. My partner lovingly says I'm a snail, that I leave a trail wherever I go, which is loving and true. Um, problems prioritizing. So if you have a list of 10 tasks, it's really hard to decide which of those tasks is the most important or the most pressing. Really difficult time with time management skills. So there are some people who are like chronically late and always forgetting appointments. And then there are some people with ADHD who overcorrect and can habitually arrive places 30 minutes earlier because they, they just didn't want to be late. Um, really hard time kind of staying on task and focusing, keeping their heads down, and then just kind of poor planning, uh, a lot of overwhelm and frustration. So those are kind of the two main buckets. And so when it comes to ADHD and money, when you have a person who has a low frustration tolerance and poor emotional regulation and can't stay organized, of course, the regular money to-dos or, or rules are incredibly frustrating and not super helpful. Yeah, money dates are really hard. Yes, really, really hard and frustrating. And then we just feel bad or go into shame or, mm -hmm. right, or the anxiety yep. goes up. And okay. And do you see this in ADD as well? Do you see a distinction when people are coming to you of different symptoms, habits around money or challenges or strengths with with the ADD side? Yeah. So, so interestingly, so um, for your listeners, ADD is attention deficit disorder. Uh, ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Under the DSM now, they're all lumped together under ADHD. And we now have three types. ADHD inattentive, which would have been called ADD. ADHD um, hyperactive type and then combined. So you're inattentive plus hyperactive. Um, so for the, the inattentive type, the types of things that are gonna show up is a really hard time paying attention at that money date if we're looking at a budget. Yeah, I, I can pay attention to a few of those line items and then my attention is kind of drifting off. Or yes, I can focus on this money-related podcast for a little bit, but something else, you know, uh, found my attention and, and my attention went there. So it's a lot of this kind of um, fading off, but the, the recommendations I often recommend, whether it's ADHD inattentive, hyperactivity or combined, they, they tend to be pretty similar. And I always tell clients, uh, pick and choose what works for you. Try some out, see what sticks. The, the best way to figure out if a, if a tip will work for you is, is to try it out. So, so let's go into some of those strategies sure. that we can all pick and choose. Mm -hmm. All right. So when we think about all of the symptoms that I mentioned, one of my favorite things to do is to automate as much as humanly possible. Automate as much of your financial life as you can. 
because keeping track of build due dates, knowing when enrollment happens, uh, knowing which documents need to be saved versus trash. It's just like so, so overwhelming. So if you can put your bills on auto pay, put your retirement on auto pay. And for a lot of retirement plans, if you are employer, if you have an employer sponsored retirement plan, a lot of them will have what's called an auto increase every single year. And you literally opt in to increasing your retirement contributions by 1% every year until you hit whatever your ceiling is. So anytime you can automate upfront can be beneficial and not just automating your bills, but also automating for the fun stuff in your life. I auto save for vacation every single month. So that way when I'm ready to take a trip, I can peek at that account and go, ooh, I have, I have a little extra money to splurge. So automation is huge. I'm a huge fan of timers and deadlines in order to get tasks done. With money, with so many financial consequences or rewards being really far off in the horizon, oh, I'm not retiring for 20 years, or I don't need um, to pay off my car for three years, it can be really hard for the ADHD brain that's very focused on what's the priority right now in this moment to think about the things in the future. So creating a timer, using a timer or a deadline can help make it more important right now. So maybe you set a timer for 25 minutes and you say, for 25 minutes, I'm going to have a mini money date. And I'm just going to look at what's coming in and what's going out and making sure everything looks correct. Or if you have a task to do, I need to enroll in a healthcare plan. You give yourself a deadline of 24 hours to pick a healthcare plan. And at the end of that 24 hours, you must choose a healthcare plan. And then the next thing I'll say is doing something called body doubling, which is where you have literally an accountability buddy available to you. In person, this could be a partner, either a romantic partner, a parent, a good friend, who literally can kind of just like sit next to you while you're doing this stuff. And if you don't have another human available, there are services available to do body doubling online. I have been using Focusmate since the yep. start of the pandemic. I'm not yep. endorsed, like I'm not sponsored by them or anything. But the way that it works is you log into the platform, you tell somebody on the other end of the line, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my budget for 25 minutes. You and the other person each put your microphone on silent. And at the end of that 25 minutes, a little buzzer goes off. And then you say, yep, I looked at my budget and they tell you, oh yeah, I did whatever I was planning on doing. So we don't know exactly why body doubling works, but it's something about having that external accountability that can be helpful. So those are my three big ones. There are many others, but that, that's what I'll start out with is automate timers, get a, get a buddy to do body doubling. We'll start there. I don't know why it's called body doubling. It's such a funny, I know. I mean, I wish it's confusing to me, but that's what everyone's calling it. So we got, you know, that, and it really is so helpful for Mm -hmm. so people. And I heard about focus mate too, from someone in the art of money community. And it just kept being shared because a lot of folks just need a buddy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so incredibly helpful. So it's the automation part is so amazing. If you can do it on your own. Mm -hmm. And if you need someone to help you, right, and it can't be a friend or family member, 
that is something that you can hire. You could hire a bookkeeper yep. and they're at all different levels. Like they could be 25 an hour, they could be 50 mm -hmm. an hour, they could be hundred if they're more, you know, moving into financial coaches mm -hmm. and they could sit down with you and, you know, show you how to automate everything. I, right. I know I, years ago, I needed to be taught that I needed, yes. someone needed to hold my hand and it took, you know, three to six months to learn QuickBooks. It was a whole mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. right? I needed mm -hmm. breaks, I needed chocolate breaks, I needed tissue, crying breaks, I needed breaks. Yes. And, it, and I needed someone to sit with me, right? So mm -hmm. I love automation. If you can do it on your own, that's great. If you need to hire someone just for a few hours or a month or so to sit with you online or literally show up at your house, you know, there's people who do that. I have a referral list, I'm sure you do too. Yep. Um, I love to set the timers, right? Because that's that's just breaking things down into small chunks. Yes. Right. That is such an important. I'm totally forgetting the somatic term for it. What is it? The somatic term for breaking things down, titration. Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Breaking things down into small bite-sized chunks so that you don't go into overwhelm. Right. And then you which moves you into dysregulation. So just really mm -hmm. break it down, whether it's five minutes on the timer or 15 or 20 minutes. I love that. And then getting a friend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The little story and then we may go into more. So, you know, I also don't love TikTok and I have a teenager, you know, and at some point he came to us and said, I am pretty sure I have ADD, you know, and mm -hmm. it was from TikTok. Yep. And we all started doing more research and looking it up and so on. And it's been incredibly helpful. Um, Guess what? He will only do homework if it's with a buddy. Yep. You know, like that's whether it's on the phone, whether it's live, whether, you know, and he did that before we even knew that that was a tool and a strategy. He just said, I cannot mm -hmm. and will not do homework unless it's with someone else, you know? Yep. And then recently I listened to, we can do hard things, right? Mm -hmm. With Doyle and yes. Abby and sister and, you know, and they were doing a whole thing on um, parenting and sister has one of her kids who has ADHD. And one of the biggest things that I got out of that was that the stats show that if one of your kids has it, then, you know, likely one of the parents, it, you know, it's genetic, it comes from yeah. one of them. And so I went to my son, we were, you know, my husband was in the car, the three of us. And I said, so I told him about this. And I said, so at least one of us most likely has ADD, which one do you think it is? And mm -hmm. both pointed at me <laughs> and it was just so interesting I'm 54 years old and obviously we're still learning new things but you know do I get 30 do I get to places early you better believe it you yep, know yep because yep I'm, I know I'm and it makes me very anxious if I, we're not there on time and that, that's me Barry oh my gosh okay. I always tell people I'd rather be somewhere 30 minutes yeah. early than five minutes late my anxiety oh. is just like through the roof. I'm like, I'm happy to sit at the airport and just know that I'm at my gate and I'm not going to miss that plane. <laughs> totally, 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 totally. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. So that is all incredibly helpful. I know these are just beginning simple yeah, tools. Yeah. Anything else, you know, that we want to share here, one or two mm. more tools to help folks, you know, as they're sitting down to have money dates, as they're sitting down to go at that to-do list. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things, and this really comes from like, you know, a lot of 
the the language about money is that you shouldn't spend it and it's bad. And so when you have ADHD, remember the impulsivity piece is really, really challenging. And rather than say to people, yeah, don't spend your money, that's bad. I like to work with people to have an ADHD fund. And you can call it an impulsivity fund. You can call oh. it a fun money fund. You can call it a splurge fund. But the the way that it works best for me is to get literal cash out at the beginning of the month. And then if I have like a beautiful trinket that I want to buy and I have money in my wallet, I can buy it and it's no guilt. It scratches that ADHD itch. I can spend impulsively and because I'm not putting it on a credit card, I then don't have that guilt when I see that bill a month later. I don't feel that shame about, oh, I wasn't supposed to spend. But if we know what our budget is and we, you know, for somebody who doesn't have ADHD, they might be able to say, I know I'm allowed to spend about $100 a month on random things. But for ADHD, it's really, really hard. So to have that tangible cash on hand and to be able to splurge in a kind way where you're not going to harm your future, future financial self can be really beneficial. So I love that because you know, we love to rename things over here. All yes, the cash. I know. I've so, renamed all of my funds. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> which is what, right? But we've, I've never heard impulsivity yeah. or fund your ADHD fund. I've heard spontaneity fund or yeah. do whatever the app I want fund. Yep. Or, you know, like, but I love just naming it impulsivity, you know? Yeah. And I love that. So then there's actually like cash on hand. You have a category, you, you know, you have, you just have an amount that you get to do that, you know? My take on that, it was, it's that, I love that. And I love the impulsivity <laughs> so much. I love that word for me. It's, and I've heard you speak about this too. It's give yourself a pause, yes. you know, give yourself an hour, two hours, even a day. And, you know, I just pulled up a swimsuit. I don't even like swimsuits and I have enough swimsuits and I pulled it up and it was sitting on my tab. And I finally, I think like last night said, you know, I, I really just don't need it. Let it go, let it go. Mm -hmm. And took mm -hmm. all, you know, you know, came out of that tab and that was, you know, exited out and that was that. Yep. But like, yep. I just needed to give myself like some time to really think about this. Would this be a valuable purpose? Do I really need it? All those things, you know, yes. so I have to give myself a time, a, a timer to like pause, time out, you know? Yeah. I, I really need that personally. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Is there one more, one more <sighs> Oh I my gosh. There, there, there are lots of these little um, trinkets, but those are some of my favorite ones. One that I think will resonate with your audience. Um, I hope it resonates with everyone, but in particular, when we're thinking about just self-kindness is, is that ADHD isn't a bad thing, right? Just like anxiety isn't inherently bad. ADHD brains are full of creativity and excitement and hyper-focus and deep empathy. And so if we can have compassion for the way that our brains are built, even though, yes, there are times that, you know, our ADHD brains get us in trouble. If we can have some of that loving self-compassion for some of those intricacies that our brain has, it can give us just some, some extra spaciousness when we make those financial mistakes. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So we have strengths and challenges around ADHD. We have strengths and challenges around our whole relationship to money. We have strengths and challenges in our own personalities and nature, all of it. 
Mm-hmm. This too. It's not just the symptoms. It's not just the challenges. There's a lot of amazing things in here yeah. as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, there has to be. Okay. So Lindsay, I feel like this is like part one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like a little taste. Yeah. A taste of yeah. getting to experience you and how you work and you're very smart and you're very articulate and you're very research-based and then you're also you know so compassionate and understanding as well there's there's so much depth to your work well so what's right now knowing that we'll come back in another moment to continue um what would you like to share with folks about your work right now? I mean, everything from where they can find you to, you know, a program that you're really excited about. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a year of experimentation for me. As you know, my podcast is on pause. I, I am expanding beyond or a pivoting from, I used to work almost exclusively with therapists and helping them understand their relationship with money, helping them to advocate for their financial worth, et cetera, et cetera. And then over the last year, I was like, wait, but people beyond therapists need this information. So that's why you're seeing this breadth of um, information that I am producing and content that I am creating. So right now, I mean, one of my favorite things to have people do is to take a quiz to learn more about their relationship with money. It's free at mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. And when you take that quiz, it'll also add you to my email list. So if when new things come out, be it uh, a program or a course or a book or whatever, you'll be first to know. Um, My website has a ton of resources. I have a YouTube channel. I'm over on Instagram. Everything is under my brand name, Mind Money Balance. So just just come say hi and stay tuned because there there are things on the horizon. Um, but I don't know exactly like what yet. It's it's a I very expansive time of of business. Wonderful. And yeah. is this accurate that you are actively seeing private clients still? I know. I am. No, I am. But my practice. Yeah, no. So, so the listeners can't see my face. I did like a side face. So I am taking on clients, but my practice is very full. I have a wait list of over 200 clients right now. So we need, we need, we need more financial therapists desperately. So if any therapists are out there listening and they want to expand into financial therapy work, trust me, people need it. Um, but you can always add your name to the wait list. It's the first thing you will see when you get to my website. Okay, because I knew that you, I, but you have a program for couples and, but private yeah. self is full. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but there's a self-paced course available for couples that they can find couples. on the website. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's other ways, like there, there's other little programs that people can do self-paced. Yep, well. yep. Everything okay. right now is self-paced okay. unless you're working with me one-on-one, but we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what where my ADHD brain takes us next. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it that you're just really giving yourself this year to explore. Yeah, yeah. And you've gotten to a great place with, you know, your private practice, but you're, and you have the self-paced courses and now you're doing trainings on lots of other things. All yes. the 
Yeah. And so how do you, I mean, I, I call, I used to call my art of money program was for lay folks. And my husband hates that word. He's like, what does that even mean? Lay folks, you know, as opposed to professionals or therapists and right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you're just opening, you want to open it up to mm-hmm. folks from all different professions, all different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. So good. Lindsay, thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I feel like I had a a, a one-on-one session with the one and only Art of Money author. So thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I definitely held myself back. We could have gone into a (laughs) full-blown session. So it was just, you know, yeah, I really just wanted folks to, you know, get to learn about you and go to your resources and go enjoy. You put out so much content and you know, you're a wonderful teacher and yeah, I'm just really excited to introduce you to my larger community if they don't know you already. Thank you. Oh, it means the world. I'm so, so thrilled to be chatting with you. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.